We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Tata-ta! What's a Outrage and in disbelief after being dominated in football match and not being handed the victory. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. This is a club that is used to playing terribly and getting points, and I am here to tell you that they played terribly and didn't get any points, and it was beautiful. F off, you Spurs. North London is red, and all the other de rigueur things that we have to say after winning in a derby. It is a day to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, I've watched Spurs lose the XG battle to teams like City, you know, three to point one and come away with points. We've seen them do it to us, to be fair. But on this day, Tottenham Hotspur outplayed and come away with no points, come away with 10 men. We've got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about Lamella and what we think of him, Harry Kane and what we think of him, the superstar performances from Arsenal. We may have to touch on the last 10 minutes or so, because it was part of the game, and I, <laughs> I think um, most of us are just unclenching our buttocks as we speak, so certainly something that we will get to. I am so thrilled to have everybody here today, uh, both on the podcast and listening wherever you are, and I hope that you are still basking in the glow of this great day. So here to discuss it with me is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Storbordeaux. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter on Paws, at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. We will have a rewatch of this on the Patreon this week. Clive is trying to push me to rewatch the entire match. And I got to tell you, I'm not half uh, against it, except I kind of want to stop when Lamella goes off because for some reason, we I think we went off with him. But that, that's another story. If it's all right with you guys, what I'd like to do is push the Obamiang discussion to the second part of the show after the break because 
while it is a very important topic, it's a tricky topic and maybe not even a happy topic in totality, although it's a happy ending to that story, at least so far. But this is a day to celebrate. And I feel that putting that at the top prevents us from really leaning into the celebration and the exuberance at first. So I'm going to start with you, Clive. And what I want to start with is this. You know, I had sort of suspected that the reason William had been starting games is just as simple as uh, um, Arteta wanting a lefty on the right, a righty on the left. And it does seem to be that way. He used Aubameyang for a long time. Pepe got a couple starts there, but otherwise it's been William and Smith-Rowe. He goes back to Smith-Rowe here. And the story of the game, in my view, is largely the dominance we had down the left side. Smith-Rowe and Tierney making an absolute mess of Doherty and, and the way that played out. So I'd love to just start with your evaluation of that left flank of Smith-Rowe and Tierney and how special that looked and how well it worked. Because while there's a lot of players we can talk about and a lot of incidents I want to get to, I think that was the story of the game, at least for the first half. Yeah, so it, it wasn't just... Uh... Tierney and Smith-Rowe. It's actually a little bit of Lacazette as well, actually. And um, I watched it again after our podcast last night. It was a little bit of a drunken haze, so the details <laughs> are a bit funny. I've been working hard today, so I've not had a look around to see what people are saying. So I'm going to say this and just say, yeah, this is how I felt it. Um, and so Sanchez on that right-hand side. So Sanchez and Doherty and Hoiberg, that's the little pod on that side. On our, on our little pod on that side, we've got Smith-Rowe, we've got Tierney, and we've really got Lacazette. And so it's how those three won the battle. And it all comes down to Sanchez, and he's just thick. Two short planks, you know. I, I like players <laughs> with physicality and speed, as you, as you well know, but there's no point in having physicality and speed if you leave your brains in the dressing room, right? So, so basically, Sanchez, he just likes stuff to do. So he follows Lacazette everywhere. And so I heard James say today that Spurs played with a high line, but they didn't really press the ball. The reason why they had a high line, because Lacazette just crept forward, crept off. And they just crept up because they're stupid at centre-backs. They want stuff to do. And they left the spacing behind. So Lacazette creeps up. Sanchez stays on him. Tierney progresses the ball. Lashaka progresses the ball. And Smith-Rowe starts inside and just runs in behind Doherty because Doherty decided I'm going to try to face off to to Tierney as much as I can. So in Smith-Rowe pops in behind. And so he's thinking to himself, okay, he's done it once. Let's see what happens again. And they do it again, they do it again, they do it again. And you ask yourselves, are they really that stupid? I mean, it wasn't even hard. So then Smith-Rowe said, okay, you want to stop me in behind? I'm going to go short this time. Then I'm going to run around you. So Hoiberg decides, Hoiberg is like their shaka. I'm going to come over now with my muscles and I'm going to see what I can do. Smith-Rowe looks at him and says, oh, I'm going to take you for a run. Runs around him and crosses it. I mean, it was literally surgically killing them on that side. Mm-hmm. It was surgical. And, and it, it comes back, I mean, I did not sense that superiority before the game. And, you know, there are certain players that come easy to my eye. I sometimes look at Smith-Rowe and just think, you know, I can see you're really good. I can see you're really good. I just worry about your ability to impose yourself against men. And then he does that. And I just think, what was I worried about? I mean, it's literally, he's a special player. It's a special group of players on that with Tierney. And they did work ever so well together. One last thing I'll say is, it's more how Smith-Rowe works on the interior and the exterior. How he does the inside and out. I think that's really key. And maybe Pepe is, an, is more of an outie. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that could be the difference there. 
Willian is a bit more inside and out, but what he doesn't do, as we saw, he doesn't run in behind. Yeah, and that threat went when he left. But I'm sure you'll cover that later on. But yeah, very intelligent. I think the advantage of having a righty on that side too is he can drift inside and create connections and, and interactions with Odegaard, with Lacazette, those triangles on the edge of the box. When you have a lefty who wants to go on the outside, and wants to go to the end line, you know that can work. Beat a man and cut it, cut it back. But we want Tierney doing that. We want the 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 wide midfielder, wide forward, creating more of those connections on the edge of the box. I will let you know that patrons are able to watch the video of this recording, um, which gives you some some behind-the-scenes stuff. But I'm going to tell everybody, if you picture us sitting in rapt focus as each of us are talking, really wanting to hear the contributions, those of you watching on Patreon will have noticed that Paul has actually not even been here for the entirety of Clive's uh, opening salvo. So that is the extent to which we are really fixated on one another's contributions. Well, just love, a given that I agree with everything Clive says, mm. and in fact, Clive's probably saying something he heard me say in a previous podcast. <laughs> Almost certainly. Absolutely. It'll, it'll Absolutely. be on the test later, Paul, so I hope you pass it. Um, let me... Let me ask you this. Well, Paul, I'll stick with you because it's it's a topic that you and I have discussed quite a bit this season. The layering in of pressure and pressing generally, it, it was something we talked about for months as being a way for this team to help itself create openings, create opportunities. And you look at Spurs and you look at the players they have along the back line, and there's not a lot of technical security there in my view. Once again, you see the progression, the ability to go back to front, sure, but the ability to... Press, and you know the funny thing? Not the sort of clop gag impress where it's smothering and you're all over them. Just the angles are cut off, the lanes are filled, there's no out ball, and they either have to kick long or they give it away. And I think a lot of the early patterns of the game came from Spurs just not being able to get out. We know what they want to do. They want to go long, win a first ball, right? All, all the boring crap that they do. But they couldn't get out. And I thought the, the continuing evolution of our pressure was a big story in this game too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... You could say we're not a pressing team except when we are. Mm. And these days we are. That's true about often. so many things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Elliot. No, it's not. Um, so, like, when you looked at the pressing stats earlier in the season, we just weren't. We didn't. Yeah. We almost never pressed anybody. We were bottom of the table. Now you look at games like uh, Chelsea was pretty good. But uh, the, the second Southampton recent game, the one in the league, we outpressed a a team that we thought was going to give us a really hard time. Um, Leicester, we pressed them sitting deep, which was good practice for this. Um, you know, at Leeds, we we out spider monkey the spider monkeys. Um, so, and in fact, Spurs, we we did a version of this the last time around, but we didn't do it well. That's what happens when you press with your front line, but the midfielders. Don't pick up the guys. The the fullbacks don't pick up the guys. You know the press is is at least three rows. It's it's as much David Luiz and uh, Gabriel pushing up, covering their men. The midfielders covering their guys, and this was just really really good because the difference was pressing them so that they couldn't get the ball to Harry Kane to knock on to uh, Son Hyung Min, which was how they undid us the first time round. So it's. It's it's pressure, but it's intelligent. It's not about diving in there, making tackles and forcing turnovers. It's about making them make a mistake uh, and keeping those three lines of pressure. And we did it excellently in the first half. And it was the, the you know it's almost the story of the difference between this game and the last game is we executed poorly the last time and they undid us a couple of times. 
They mm. slipped our cocktail dress off a couple oh, of times early here, on. Here we go. And in this, <laughs> we came with our chastity belt and the metal was about four inches t- thick and the key was about that large. Was that what you were looking for, Elliot? Yeah, you know what? You got there in the end. The first part I didn't listen to, but once you said chastity belt, I switched on. Um, right in there. No, oh, I, by the way, I, yeah. I suspect you and your wife, because you, you oh, were boy. looking a bit hungover on the instant reaction thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Were you out with Willie and uh, Pierre Emmerich the night before? Is, <laughs> is that? Yeah, that, that's, what, that's what it boiled down to. Okay. Um, yeah, you know that. Well, you know what? No, I'm going to keep I'm going to hold my counsel here. Um <laughs> So, look, all that having been said, um, Tim, it, it was starting to feel like a familiar refrain in that we had a lot of dominance, but we didn't have the goal that it deserved. Although I think this was a little different because we were getting our shots off. We were getting chances. This wasn't dominance of territory. It was also dominance of chances. Um, you know, I think we had 10 shots at halftime, which obviously is like right around or, or better than our season average. Um, you know, Smith Rowe hit the hit the post a really nice shot really un- unfortunate we had a couple good moments that went begging i hate to have to make your co- early contribution and a potentially negative one but but it, i'm gonna i'm gonna give you that chance because i feel like you're not you're not afraid <laughs> to go there i have to admit that i was starting to worry that the narrative was building towards the Yang benching being calamitous only in that mm. For whatever good you want to say Lacazette did, and let's set aside his good pressing, his good buildup, all the things that we've always been generous about. This was a day where Lacazette, I felt, was having a, a bit of a shocker when it when it counted in the penalty area. I mean, he mm-hmm. he fluffed a few chances. I mean, I have to admit, when he wins the penalty, I don't know why, I burst out laughing when I watched the replay because the <laughs> flailing that he does to try to make contact is one of the funniest swings of a leg you will ever see, but it winds up winning us the game, so good for him. But, like, how do you feel about the performance Lacazette was having? I mean, it's such, who would want to analyze football, right? Because he winds up winning the game with a perfectly slotted penalty that comes from yet another sort of horrible missed, <laughs> missed contact in the box. Do you think that I may be overstating the struggles he had? How, how did you think Lacazette no. was doing... Um, in terms of obviously a lot of the focus being on him with the Aubameyang situation. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us probably wanted him to come off maybe around about the time. I was listening to the Arscast and and Andrew had been saying it and on the live blog, I think as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And particularly when you've got someone like Aubameyang on the bench and you're, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, okay, but how quickly are we going to put him on? <laughs> um, and, you know, perhaps, like, because as fans, right, that, that is it's so, not, particularly when you're in the ground, you really, really see this. Like, the second someone misplaces a pass, doesn't matter if it's in the 25th minute, everyone's, get him off, get him off, get, like, whoever else is on the bench on. And, uh, but, and, and so I think that would have been amplified in this scenario. I think, I think Lacazette, so I agree with you. I think he had a shocker. Um, but to be generous to him, (laughs) to be generous to him, the reason for that, we know this was a late decision, right? To, to put, um, to put him in for a Bamiyang. That, that, um, pattern behind a Bamiyang, Saka, Erdegaard, Smith Rowe, that was built for a Bamiyang. That was not built for Lacazette. Because that is all about like the, the structure of the midfield. You had Xhaka left, party right, Erde, uh, party centre, Erdegaard over to the right. 
I think we got an answer we were looking for in terms of we've been talking about does Arteta just like inverted wingers? Well, when Saka went off, it was Pepe that came on, not Willian. So that tells you, yes, mm-hmm. he wants inverted wingers like at the moment because he wanted, you know, that, that flat line of three in the middle and then for the, the two wide players to just come in field slightly and just create that numerical superiority, which we did on the left a lot. That Not watching the video, people are missing out some world-class finger diagramming that you're doing with the <laughs> with the line of three, yeah. which, which which I do like regardless of whether there's video or not. Yep. Um, just it's it's a visual aid for me as much as anything. <laughs> Um, so that was all built for Aubameyang, not Lacazette. I um, And I admit I was watching Lacazette with a quite critical eye, but I felt particularly in those, like we were, we were getting down that left-hand side and it just needed someone in the area. That's what we needed. And he was getting, you know, he was coming back towards the halfway line, which is what he does. We know he likes to do that. But we were very, very well manned there. We had players there already doing that. And I felt what we needed was someone in behind because we kept getting Tierney and Smith Rowe into those positions. I do think Lacazette got that eventually. I think after 20 minutes or so, he clocked, right, we keep getting in down here. Maybe I should come and stand over here uh, in the area. And when he did that, he he just had a pretty unproductive day, um, to be honest. You know what? I, I couldn't agree with you more about how he was playing the role. And, and you know, early on, yeah, and, and Clive, I'll let you have a swing at this too. But early on, we got it. Uh, we had an overlap and the ball was slid across the box. Beautifully slid into like corridor of uncertainty. Perfect spot. And Aubameyang's at the top of the box. Like he hasn't even made the run. And that's not me criticizing, uh, pardon me, <laughs> Aubameyang is not there. He's actually sitting on the bench looking miserable. Lacazette is at the top of the box. He hasn't made the run. He spent so much of this season, so much of his time under Arteta playing a nine-stroke ten role. And that's not the role it needs to be anymore, really, in this system. And I think early on in the game, when when the ball was getting put in the box and he wasn't making the run, I do agree with you. He started to sort of clock that, okay, I, I need to start making these runs in because the ball's going to be delivered there. And then it was just, like you said, a matter of not finishing it. Clive, I imagine um, that you'd like to visit upon us a different perspective. Uh, so... Uh, why don't you unmute yourself? I'm going to give you that little warning just in case, and and let okay. you let you tell us how it really happened, Claude. T- tell tell us tell us what we didn't see. You got the no, glasses no, that let you see the game. Tell us tell us what we didn't so, see. Hey, look, so let's let's <laughs> just separate our Lacazette analysis, right? Because in the box we know he's not the best cutbacks. He's not bad, right? But in the box we know it's a bit it's a bit of hard work. But on this day, we may have had a stroke of luck with Lacazette playing. If Aubameyang plays centre forward, what Aubameyang's going to do, he's going to he's going to want to move in behind, and they know that. So they now drop off. Does Smith Rowe get in that often? If Aubameyang at centre forward, I'm not so sure, right? Because they would drop off. Because I would. Why wouldn't you? You got Aubameyang. Mm, you don't want to get into money race with him. You're not going to get tight to him, are you? The, the stupidity of Spurs was they got tight to Lacazette when you just don't need to. Mm. <laughs> Let him have it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and they just got, Sanchez just got tight to him. And because he got tight to him, Smithfield kept getting in. And Doherty's stupid. Why? Right? He hasn't got he hasn't got his satellite dish on. He's just watching what's in front of him. And um, and all he saw was Tilly. So we may have got a bit of luck. Right? Now, Lacazette did much better getting into the box. Once he was in there. We, we all know that it's, it's a bit of 50-50, right? So then we judge him on the last thing he does. He did get in there. He did collapse the defence a couple of times for Odegaard, and we got a shot against the post. He wasn't ideal, but on this day, we may have got lucky. You know what I mean? Just because mm-hmm. of the way... Because what it did, it made Spurs not respect us. 
They didn't drop away. They didn't get really tight. And then we got in around them. Right? And so if Aubameyang was there and Pepe was there, they would have been dropping off early, like they did in the in the away in the home game. Sorry, the away game. And we struggled, didn't we? We struggled to get in because they there was no spaces there. So everything in my body says we all want Aubameyang in the box. We all do. But on this day, we got space, much more space than we got in the in the away game. And so um, we may have got a little bit of luck, even though we know it's not a player quality issue. It's just a style of play issue. Yeah, that that's fair. And I mean, it, it's tough, right? Because sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this, and I'd like to think that everybody is guilty of this, but maybe I'm just the only one who's guilty of this, which is um, cognitive bias. When Aubameyang misses chances but gets them, what do I always say? If Aubameyang's getting chances in the box, he's doing his job, stick with him, it'll eventually come. Well, Lacazette got in the box and he had some chances and he, and he fluffed his lines. I'm more likely to be frustrated when Lacazette does that. I admit that. But, you know, he was there. He was on the end of some chances. They, they didn't happen. And ultimately, on a day when it wasn't going for him to step up to the spot and finish so coolly, that's um that's really impressive. I, I, do, I said this on the Instant Reaction Pod, but I, I'll reiterate it. There is some weird irony that under Unai Emery, with a chance at top four staring us in the face, Aubameyang steps up against Spurs from the penalty spot, misses, and the season sort of goes down the drain with it. And here on a day when he's being disciplined, his strike partner, you know, Lacazette, steps up and he slots at home. <clears throat> we go on to win, and who knows where that'll take us in the season. Uh, Paul, before I come to you, Clive, I just want to ask you something about Saka. He is one of our best players. There is no doubt in my mind. Every player goes through hot patches and cool patches and especially when you're a teenager and you played as much as he has I think we felt that Pepe had a Willian problem Pepe needs to play but for some reason he's picking Willian ahead of him all right well now we kind of see there's a plan actually it's right he's on the left does Saka maybe have a Pepe problem because right now Saka's in a bit of a lull form and Pepe has come on and every time he's come on he's looked absolutely fantastic his pass I mean, it is an interception, pulls it out of the sky, one touch to control, <clears throat> and an incredible pass to Lacazette to create the penalty. Saka's a little off the boil right now, and it's got to be hard for for Arteta. He's very decisive in making that switch at halftime. So how do you how do you analyze the, the Saka situation and his Pepe maybe breathing down his neck? Breathing down his neck hard, and, and that's absolutely fine. That, that kid, that's been in the post, that little injury, hasn't it? We've all seen him. You know, even when he mm. set up the goals in Benfica, he was a little bit lagging in Ben. You know, in Benfica, this has been coming. This little dip. It's also getting and kicked fact, to crap every game, Clive, yeah, which doesn't exactly. help. Exactly. Yeah. This has been coming, and and it, the good thing is that we've actually got because he carried us for the first half of the season. Mm. The good thing is now we've got other people willing to step up in Smith Rowe, Odegaard, and Pepe. Before we didn't have any of those, did we? Really? Because mm. Pepe was off form. Odegaard was a non-entity, and Smith Rowe was recovering from injury. Right, so our reliance on Saka has been huge. And if he gets a little sit down now, and then the international break, if he's still got hamstring, he misses that. He gets the rest he so needs. Right, and so again, Odegaard's doing quite well at the moment. He's going to hit a plateau soon, and who better to step into that number ten role than than Saka, and be the, be that half space player on the right hand side? He can do that easily. The key thing is having options. It's having good options. And when one's not there, we don't cry. You know, because if Odegaard hits a flatty, Saka goes in. If Smith Rowe hits a flatty, William goes in. <laughs> but, that's the, but that's really, that's the issue, really. Do your left-right foot thing, I agree with. But I hope you're not right. 
I no, I, I get it because yeah, you'd rather it yeah. be Saka than Willian is that exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean Smith Rowe yeah. seems to have captured that position and justifiably so, but it is a weird situation to have been a team that struck, you know, seven shots a game, twelve goals through thirteen games, and suddenly now we're saying, gosh, we can't fit all the guys we like into our lineup in the attacking third. It's it's bizarre how that's changed and it's a beautiful thing to see. And so Paul, I guess that leaves us to talk about the opening goal and the guy who scored it, Martin Odegaard. I I think we felt he would be more of the killer pass player than Smith Rowe, but suddenly he's stepping up and showing something that I don't think we believed he would do, which is a willingness to score the goals himself. I mean, obviously a thunder bastard against Olympiacos doesn't hurt, and he comes back with, let's say, less of a thunder bastard in this game, but look at the spot he takes up. More of a Welbeck bastard. Yeah, it's a Welbeck. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a full Welbeck. But, I mean, there is something to be said about a number 10 arriving in the box for the cutback on the penalty spot on time. He has been showing up in the box the last couple of games or at the top of the box to create that extra goal-scoring threat. And if there was one thing that the back three really didn't afford us, it didn't let us link so much because you had the midfield two and then Lacazette dropping all the way into midfield to, for, to form the three. But when Lacazette got forward, you know neither of those central midfielders are going to follow in behind. So there was this, there was an easy aspect to defending us because as long as you had your eye on the number nine, there was no one in behind him to create those layers. Odegaard's doing that so beautifully now. Is that sort of the, the secret sauce is the second man run that we, we finally have with Odegaard? Uh, yes, uh, I'm with you that, like, I did my little bit of uh, go off and scout him for a few hours before he came here and concluded that he's not really going to give us much in the box mm. in terms of shots, etc. He, he, like, he'll shoot from outside the box. So I, I didn't feel too ruffled when he scored that thunder bastard from outside the box. I'm like, yes, I'm still right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, after this one, eh, but... Here's what I think might be going on. We've heard from El Nenny that uh, Arteta has been on his case uh, to start shooting, start shooting practice. So he he's shooting, doing shooting practice. Smith Rowe says Arteta has been on him to do shooting yep, practice. Yep, I heard that. Yep. He gets Odegaard in. He says, "Forget all that shit you did before. I need goals. Get in the box, shoot. You may not have done it before, and he doesn't have a lot of goals, and he didn't really get the chance to do it while." at Real Madrid. Um, So it's basically do over, get in the box, shoot. I need shots from midfielders. Take some fucking shots. And Mm -hmm. so maybe this is part of his game or this is a 22-year-old into a new environment told we desperately need you fuckers from midfield to take shots. And now we're taking shots. So, I mean, this was a scuffed one, but if you don't take shots... You, you don't get the scuffed one, so fuck it. And he, we'd certainly earned it at this point. So if he can add that to his game, Smith Rowe celebrated uh, his goal from from when it hit the crossbar. I don't, I don't know if you saw that, but he actually does a fist pump about a second after. Like you can, you imagined when uh, I saw his transcript of uh, he celebrated the goal. I, I, I saw his interview as well. I'm like, oh, he must have done it just before it hit the crossbar. no. It's like it has hit the crossbar and rebounded and he fist pumps so that like the celebration was in the mail. He was convinced that one was going in. And that's a guy who's been taking shooting practice because he knows the arc of the ball. And he says, oh, I've seen this before. This one's going in. And so I think it's more of a collective. 
I think the other thing that's that's that I took away from this game collective wise, just quickly on the the uh, the the wide forwards topic is we've come out of this with four highly functioning wide forwards now between Pepe, uh, Smith Rowe, Saka, and I know I'm out on a limb here, but I actually think Willian has actually been good, not just right footed off the left. And now we need to see more. I'm just going to bite through my good. tongue. Just ignore. If blood starts pouring out of my mouth, just know that I've just bitten <laughs> through my tongue. But fine, keep going. But but at, at le- he's at least functioning. But I actually think he was actually good the last time out. Uh, but that's another matter. We, we've got a lineup where we have four or five players who can all come in without missing a beat and add something, and also add different kind of variations and looks on a theme, which means. It doesn't matter that, that uh, say, say Sack had come off after 60 minutes because uh, we'd rested him instead of he might have a niggle. That's what you want to see, where the first player gets 60 minutes, the second player gets 30, and the manager does it because the next guy is just as good and has fresher legs, or it's just a different look, or mm. it's it, it's his day. And that augurs really well for the end of the season. So yeah. Smith throw Odegaard through the middle, both willing to take shots. So when Odegaard needs a rest there, Smith Rowe can play through the middle. Smith Rowe doesn't have to play on the wing every game. But the most exciting thing for me in Odegaard's performance is he had his best performance on the day Smith Rowe had his best performance. And I wasn't sure they'd get to play a lot. I certainly didn't think they could both shine on the same day and they were both spectacular. Tim, you made a point um, in the chat that I, I at least want to get your thoughts on it where other people can actually benefit from it and not just us internally. Um, yeah, the fullbacks have played well when Odegaard's played. And while Tierney was a star in this game, and I you know I, I think we may overstate decent performances on days we win. Um, so Tierney was a star. <clears throat> I don't think Cedric was outrageously good, but he was good. And to be fair, since Odegaard's come in, I think Bellerin has lifted a bit. I'm not saying he's where we need him, but Cedric was good in this game. Um, I, you know, I definitely think that we are starting to find partnerships that work a little more. So do you want to expand on how you feel like Odegaard might be responsible for some of those uh, improvements in the fullbacks? Yeah, sure, because we've played three of them recently, right? And we've mm-hmm. had uh, season best or close to season best performances. Callum Chambers at Burnley, uh, Bellerin against Olympiacos was yep. great, and Cedric's had some really solid games there. And and just having that, um, just having that that kind of, I think that that slip ball um, in behind, particularly now we've got Saka like really coming in um, off that off that uh, right flank in particular and creating that really obvious overlap. You know, we talked a lot about how particularly when Pepe plays, sometimes Bellerin is asked to underlap. Um, and sometimes, you know, collides with players. But actually with Erdegaard there, I think that's less of a problem because he's got that reverse ball into that right back behind, um, yeah, just just behind, in between the kind of um, the left centre half and left back um, of the opposition. And and yeah, we've, we've seen, we've even Callum Chambers, we've seen getting in behind Burnley. Um, sorry, that sounded a bit like pejorative, <laughs> but you know what I mean? We all thought, I think with some justification that Chambers had been picked because of his aerial presence, and I, and I think he was largely, but he was still getting in behind Burnley. Um, and, and yeah, I just think having that pass there, that kind of, that slightly disguised pass, and, and Odegaard's got lovely range when he gets the ball like that, when he gets the ball and that kind of 
in that right half space and he turns his body out and he can either whip the ball over to Arsenal's left or he can hit that kind of that inside uh, that inside pass and 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 Ozil had that as well he can go in or out and that that stretches the opposition it can make the opposition fall asleep a little bit if it looks like Erdegaard's shaping to hit the ball over to the left he's just got a lovely shape on um he's he does he, he's got um he does a really good trade in disguised passes and I think that's uh, really encouraged our right backs to to get forward yeah no that's a good observation Clive do you want to just add to that real quick and then Tim I got another one for you if you don't mind yeah, quickly, um, I thought Cedric was the absolute right selection for this game. Mm-hmm. Because you had said that better, in the preview, to be fair. You're on record I with said, that. I said it, I called it because he's better at combinations. So three style of fullbacks. You've got Callum Chambers, big, strong underlapper who can go on the outside. Well, you got you got Bellerin, who's far more progressive, far more front-footedness. Right? Ben Freaker away, it, it, sorry, Olympiacos away, it really suited him, didn't it? Mm. We wanted to get them back. We wanted to get them pushed back. We wanted to impose ourselves on them. And Bellerin was fantastic in that game, particularly when he was rested. And we needed exactly that on the day, particularly when Saka was a little bit down again, right? So and Saka happily tucked in behind him. On this day, it was fine because one had energy and one didn't. It was quite clear on the day, right? Mm. So, And I do feel strongly that we've got three different styles of fullback. But there's a little pod there developing in party and Odegaard, as Tim alluded to. So suddenly that right-hand side with, with party there and Odegaard, suddenly the right centre-backs having a decent couple of games. Then yeah. The right-backs have a decent couple of games. It doesn't take much, does it, to see the, the flip around? Mm. Now you bring Sobias in there and the stability goes, the relationships goes, the certainty of movement goes. And that's when it all starts to break down a little bit, you know. You bring Tobias forward where he can be a little bit more um, progressive and a little bit more trickster. It's okay, mate. You do that stuff there. You know what I mean? We can't build from you back here. Nothing has become, has become clear in the last few weeks, but that's a great that's a great spot from Tim. I just wanted to add on top of that. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> I agree. And I think there's an interesting party discussion to be had because he's a player that can look so dominant at periods, but he's... He's fading. <clears throat> He's struggling with maybe the intensity of the Premier League or his fitness. I think about Danny Ceballos, too, a player who, even when he was really playing well for us, at about the hour mark, was just done. Um, another player that came, ironically, from La Liga and struggled with that. And and Party struggling with that, too, on a day when uh, Tierney and Smith-Rowe and Shaq and Odegaard were passing at 90 94 96%. 79% from Party had some tricky giveaways, especially in that period where we're under pressure late. So maybe one to keep an eye on. Um you know, ironically, he comes off at the hour mark in midweek and Ceballos gifts a goal to the opposition, so it looks like a bad move, but maybe Party could have stood to come off even a little earlier in this game. I thought he was so influential early, and then it just like a switch flipped, and he couldn't do it anymore. Tim, I, I wanted to come back to you, though, because I wanted to give you a chance to praise uh, the Brazilians, because they deserve it. Um, Luis, Gabriel, really magnificent, and they didn't have a lot to do early. <clears throat> Gabriel certainly saved the game with what is just a sensational piece of defensive awareness and the header off the line, which is a moment, you know, look, he scores a header that is sensational in midweek to help us through in Europe and then has a defensive header at the weekend that's as important and sensational to help us win the Derby. Um, If we want to praise the Tierney signing, the Gabriel signing's not far behind in terms of a guy Mm -hmm. that people weren't sure was, you know, I mean, Saliba was the one we thought was the bigger talent. Gabriel stepped in. He's been ready. He's been brilliant. Um, and Louise, to his credit, 
This was an on day for Louise. This was a focused leadership day for Louise. And his distribution was, I think, again, critical in how we dominated the game. So you want to maybe give a little uh, Brazilian love? Uh, that maybe that that <laughs> maybe let me rephrase that. Do you want to give a little love to the Brazilians? <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, you, you get some how... Brazilian love, you know, in your in your household. But, you know, that's uh, that, uh, well, yeah, that's how I ended up with a daughter. <laughs> Touche. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so um, less of that. Um, so uh, Louise, right? So Louise, I think, is another way in which um, perhaps some of the selection revolved around Aubameyang. Uh, the, the conversation, the, the themes we're discovering throughout here is what Arsenal are getting now is the different strokes for different folks kind of thing. We've got mm. four centre-backs we can drop in and out. We've got full-backs we can drop in and out. We, we haven't got another left-back, to be fair, but we've got three right-backs we can drop in and out. Um, we Yeah, we maybe haven't got another Xhaka and party, but you know, in the forward positions and across the back, we, we've really got that. You know, this is the tactic today. So these are the guys we're going to use. And and playing um, Gabriel made a lot of sense. I, I I actually thought he might pick Mari for this because really th- th- this was not a holding game, right? Because what do Spurs do? They get Kane dropping off in the center circle and he goes with his back to goal and he'll spin you and he'll play it in behind for Bale or Son and or he'll just dive and win a free kick. And so th- this is like this is you've got to engage Kane. And every time we've had good performances against Spurs, someone has done that job and basically taken Kane out of the game by engaging him early, high up and either wrapping his ankles or taking the ball off of him. And, you know, you know that Gabriel can do that job. Um, he does have his occasional rash moments. I think that comes with um, that just comes with the territory with a defender like that, particularly one who's 22. You're absolutely right. We're talking about the young players at Arsenal. We're talking about the likes of Saka, Smith Rowe, guys who've come through our academy. But supplementing them with signings like Tierney and Gabriel, like you can see the future core of this team developing um, already, which which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and Louise as well, his his distribution, particularly where we were trying to overload on the left, he's perfect for that right um, centre back spot. And isn't it isn't it like quite strange how, for the first maybe nine months under Arteta, he only ever played the left side of the centre back, but now he's always on the right because mm. we always want the option of that whipped cross, uh, that whipped cross field ball over to the left, particularly. Now we're playing with a Bamiyang more often, and that's the space he likes behind that fullback. Um, and and Louis, like we know, Louise can do that. We know he can play that ball. We know he's he's very important to build up. And so what we've got is we've got a few players now who can hit those diagonals. So we know Xhaka can do it, albeit actually we've shortened the distance of Xhaka's passing because we just sit him on the left and we just give him angles to to distribute the ball. Whereas Louise can do it, you know, from probably a longer distance. Party can do it. Um, over towards the right as well. But the the doubt with Louise, the doubt is never, ever, ever about his actual defensive talent, his ceiling. Good, If you get good Louise every week, he is world-class. That is why he's won everything, mm. even though he does have his moments. He's still won everything and he still gets in every team that he's, you know, despite those doubts, every coach basically, except for Conte, because they fell out, because Conte trusted him for a year. He played 38 games when um, Chelsea won the league in 2017. They fell out. Um, There is a reason managers trust Luis and accept some of the rough edges that come with him. But 
like I said on the instant reaction, you can tell in the first 10 minutes what kind of Louise you're getting defensively. And this again, this was, um, I, I like Louise in these games. I, I, I kind of agree with Clive. I think when it gets too easy, that's when you see bad Louise. But mm. what are some of his best games for Arsenal? Cup final, FA Cup semi-final, those, those kind of big games. I, I know he's had some brain farts against like Man City and stuff like that. But I think like Derby's cup finals, I think he really, really relishes that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think he just thought, right, you know, th- this isn't happening today. I'm I'm on top of this. And yeah, I thought they were I thought they were both really good. Yeah, and it, when Kane wasn't it, getting any change out of Gabriel, he switched to Luis, especially a little later in the second half, and he got absolutely nowhere with Luis. Luis bossed him. Yeah. Uh, in between <clears throat> bossing the sidelines in Portuguese against Mourinho and his assistant coaches, uh, you could see why Luis would be up for this game. So uh, yeah. he, he got his maximum value here. There was a big uh, Portuguese-speaking uh, aspect to this game in general, I think. It is so weird to think about how centre-back has been, <clears throat> with very limited exception, maybe a couple of those Koscielny murder seasons, a calamity at Arsenal. There's always been a comedy figure. There's always been a figure that, you know, was was a bit of a clown. And you could say we still have that to some extent when Louise does go into bad Louise. But between Gabriel and Marie and Holding and Louise and, you know, maybe even Saliba someday, it's starting to look like a position of strength, which really lets you just go ahead and focus on going out and killing other teams because you trust your center backs to defend when they have to, which is a nice change. Having said that, we did concede from our first chance, and I want to get to that. Still to come, let me just make it clear. We're we're still going to talk about the Aubameyang situation. We'll talk about the rough patch at the end of the game. We'll talk about what this meant, the meta side of it as well. Um, Clive, look, I don't love... Well, no, I do. I do love discussing whether this was a penalty because it gives me a chance to go, it absolutely was a penalty, and ha, 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 and don't we deserve it finally? And maybe being an American, living in America as I do, and not being exposed to ex-pros trying to explain why it's not a penalty, and from what I've read and from what I've seen on social media, not making a lot of sense while doing it. I didn't have to be subjected to Jermaine Genus explaining why it's not a penalty. So I'm not particularly animated about this. To me, this was a penalty. There's no doubt about it. Look, it's probably not going to be a penalty if Lacazette makes the contact he needs to. But it is a reckless, rushing in, out of control kind of challenge. And when you go in like that in the box, you are at the mercy of what happens. You know, once you are no longer in control of your body, you're at the mercy of what happens. And in this case, Lacazette quite hilariously misses his kick and winds up getting taken out. And it's a penalty that he slots home beautifully. Um, do you have any debate in your mind about this being a penalty Nah, it's a penalty but i, I don't really care so so basically um when we do these podcasts when we lose a game it's sort of like we have to do them after that we've lost the game sometimes it's almost like we lose the game twice you know, mm, we've got to go I through know. it again and we lose the game twice we spoke about it last night so we made sure we really enjoyed that but actually seeing jermaine jennings on match of the day two it felt like we won the game twice, right? Because <laughs> because the team knows what I'm talking about here. Because I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, just this this buzz is just dying down. But you know what, mate? You just brought it all back mm. because that just shows me how salty you were live on TV in front of the whole nation. And of course, Twitter kicks off immediately, and that was my that was my evening, right? So on on the penalty, it's it's just uh, I wish he would. Jermaine Jones is actually a really good pundit. He's a really good pundit, and he just loses it when it comes to Spurs. So Pepe pulls it out of the sky and he fires a gun 
bullets pass into um, Lacazette, which well, I just couldn't believe it. But when that speed of pass gets there, what happens is that Sanchez is looking at the daisies. He hasn't, he, that ball's flown past him and he's having to react now. He's having to react late. Why not talk about that? He's reacting late to a situation. There's separation there. So he's come over. He's late. So Lacazette's in charge. He has a good first touch. Referee's now looking. Next event. If if I see any contact there, I know my, that centre forward's in charge. I know that defender's late. This is how they work, by the way. And he's come over and clattered him. The fact Lacazette's had a, got his shot off just a fraction of a second before, no, it doesn't matter, mate. You've, you've gone in there recklessly. You haven't looked after your body. You haven't looked after what happens. You've flown in, which means you're out of control, and you've contacted the striker. Penalty. Now, you, now we look at it from the front, and the shot's been taken. People say, well, actually, the challenge didn't affect the shot. Well, that's not what a penalty is about. <laughs> it's about what you do towards the man. The fact that Lacazette's got two left feet doesn't mean anything. You know, that's... that's that's. And the fact, I actually thought Lacazette was very smart because he made sure the whole of the Western world knew about that contact. Right, he absolutely did, and people imagine they were laughing at him, screaming a week before, wouldn't they? Right, and um, he screamed at Burnley, and that that scream worked for us. Right, it worked, and he made sure and a striker of less experience may not have got that penalty. He made sure the margins went our way. So he Edvard munched it. <laughs> <Yeah>. The scream, <laughs> TM, Lacazette. Yeah. <laughs> so there's just move on. We we know we got robbed from penalty at Burnley massively. There's been so many decisions that have not gone our way. To get even a smidgen of a one go our way, which I don't think it was that much of a big deal. And a lot of the foreign press I read today, they're not even talking about it. It's a penalty as far as they're concerned. What's the big deal? Yeah. Only mm-hmm. only in England, when you get Spurs pundits on the TV who expected a little bit of a glory dance on our graves, and they didn't get it. <laughs> so do did one. you see did you see jamie redknapp's explanation in oh it's hilarious it's, he's he's describing why it's not a penalty and it's explaining why it is <laughs> it's weird yeah, yeah it's like yeah i mean i think he, he's out of control and um there's contact and he takes him out but i don't think it's a penalty is basically what he <laughs> says it's just yeah it's it's nonsense um paul i just want to ask you one thing about this we do have to take the break and after the break we'll get into the Yang thing the way the game finished um with 10 men and what this whole thing means i will say by the way i am undefeated i put out that el neni tweet uh for the Olympiacos game, which Andrew was kind enough to highlight on the on Ars blog, which brought it back into the limelight uh, on the Ars cast, um, talking about how bringing El Neni on was clearly a sign that we were going for the draw. Then he scores a Galazzo. I did it again, obviously, but a lot of us are in good company here. When Son went off injured, I said, that could be helpful. And then, of course, the guy who comes on for him scores the goal. Um, and it yeah, was... The, the problem was it was going so well, the game, at that point. I I'm like, I didn't want Son anything off, to change. even though I would normally... Yeah, yeah. look, I, I mean... Yes, Lamella scores a goal, but I think we can agree it is the most bog-standard, boring, meaningless goal, and it comes in a loss. We never have to see it again. We'll never have to hear about it again. They can put out all the DVDs of it they want. That's a great goal that you scored because you don't know how to use your weak foot. Preach it, Tim. And it was in a loss. So we don't have to talk about it again. But, Paul, the one thing I do want to touch on, you know, if you were a Spurs fan, well, you wouldn't be on this podcast. You might be saying, oh, yeah, Arsenal, you think you're so good. You won from a a dubious penalty and and a deflected goal. But this is the thing that's missed. Whenever I talk about variance, this is what I mean. Football is a low-scoring sport, and scoring is hard. You want to win football matches, 
Be the team that puts the opposition under lots of pressure. Be in their box. Be deep in their territory. Um, You know, I think we had something like 45 very deep touches to their 10. That's how you get penalties. That's how you get deflected goals. We had 10 shots at halftime. You win football matches, not always by clean one-twos right through the defense and then tap in goals. You win them by having enough of the pressure and the possession and the control deep that the the little breaks that happen in football go your way and not theirs. You know why they didn't dive for a penalty in this game? Because they weren't in our box enough to dive for a penalty in this game. That's why. So, Paul, is the story here not that we got the penalty to win it. It's that we, we, the variance worked for us because of our dominance. And that's the whole point about football. When you dominate, you deserve the calls you get. Yeah. I mean, we get a scuff shot for the other goal because we're taking shots in front of goal in really good From position. the penalty spot. So. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Go wide open, scuff shot, 50, 50 chance it goes in. Look, the penalty, I mean, the fucking pass, the, the assist, the pass for that, deserves a goal. Lacazette's touch to bring it down, you know, like he had a bit of a mirror in many ways, but his battling in midfield, the work he did, the pressures, all good stuff, that touch for the penalty. And then he slices it like a fox inviting the challenge, which I thought was rather brilliant of him. Um, like I've no issue, like that's so much a penalty and so much an earned penalty. There's some, yeah. sh- look at the shit penalties they've got for like, uh, Kane facing away from the box but doing his belly flop when nothing's on, nothing's happening. I mean, fuck off, right? We have this guy on toes. That's why he straight legs Lacazette to try and desperately shop, stop that uh, slice at the last moment. He doesn't know. He obviously hasn't been watching the game like we have, and Lacazette's going to slice it. But, you know. <laughs> What, what can you do? That. Like, yeah. <laughs> Just let him miss but, it, mate. <laughs> like that Pepe pass and Lacazette's control, that, that reminds me of the uh, um, Bergkamp saying in practice, hey, fizz those passes into me as hard as you can. It's my job to control them. And somehow Lacazette takes the pace off that, brings it under control, and has his defender on toast, and he gets his penalty. So fuck it. Um, the variance thing, the number of chances we created were like – the toothpaste is up the tube and players like Odegaard and Smith Rowe, Saka and our two midfielders kept that pressure going for the whole of the first half and for big periods of the second half. The one thing I'd say in party's defense is uh, like he didn't have a brilliant game, but that's really where the battle went, was going on in the second half. They had uh, Lamelli in there uh, kicking anybody who could get his hands on. They had they brought Sissoka on. As the you know, he got less effective as the game went on, but that's because they sent in the big lugs, and you had fucking Hoiberg uh, plowing his shoulder into him in midfield. No foul. Okay, he's allowed to stand his ground, but leaning into the guy with your shoulder. I mean, I'd be fine if our player did it, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't get a decision. So he was like, we have a substantial muscular central midfield pairing with Party and Chaka. And they, we weren't cowed. Um, you know, Mourinho's team looking to kick lumps out of us made no fucking difference. We were not for turning. So mightn't have been his best game on the ball, but the presence those guys have in front of Luis and Gabriel. I mean, it's not just Gabriel and Luis who stops players like Kane, etc., getting places, right? There was a hell of a muscular screen in front of those our, our defense that kept us solid, so... 
why we were playing good football. So, um, you know, testament to the two boys in midfield, I'd say, even if the party's passing wasn't wonderful, to have that strength, that muscularity, that identity in midfield in front of the two centre-backs, they weren't coming down our middle. Yeah. Look, um, we only have Clive for another 15 minutes, and I want to get to the Aubameyang thing with Clive specifically. So we we got to do this break real quick. And what I'm going to tell you, if you're a patron watching the video, uh, I'm not a video editor, so you're going to hear an advertisement here. If you're listening to the audio and you're a patron, you get an ad-free version. You're not going to hear this, but you do want to hear it. And I'll tell you why you want to hear it, because it's going to change your life. And here's why. We got a brand new friend to tell you about. It's Candid. Do you know what Candid does? Candid fixes your smile. What could be more important than this? So I I have a story um, probably like 10 years ago. I was pretty unhappy with how my teeth were looking. And I went to the dentist and he's like, oh, you know, we can do Invisalign. Because I didn't want to have like the big bulky braces and stuff like that. And uh, he quoted me $30,000. And I was like, look, I want to have nicer teeth. But... I don't, I don't need nicer teeth that bad. I can just buy a nicer car and, and be sexier that way. You know, like, I'll, just, I'll just buy a sports car. You know, you know that'll make up for Holy the teeth. Holy fuck, how bad were these teeth? They, they're, they're not bad. I still never fixed them. I never got around to it. I just have one that's turned and, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I would have liked to have straightened them out, but I, you know, I wasn't going to spend on that. Well, Candid is going to fix your smile. They are uh, invisible aligners, removable invisible aligners that you wear. Um, you, you keep them in, but you can't tell that they're in there. They're super comfortable. Uh, you basically go through a program. In some cases, it takes only six months and it straightens your teeth. Crowding, turn, rotated teeth, spacing, fixes your teeth. And here's one of the cool things. They are monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist. Okay, so you're getting an actual licensed orthodontist who is an expert in tooth movement. They are the only company like this that has orthodontists that monitor what you're doing. Other companies have like dentists. Okay, nothing wrong with that, but this is an orthodontist. And we're talking like, one twentieth, one thirtieth the cost of these other treatments. So you can do this. You can get $75 off the starter kit to just see if it's going to work for you and see if you want to do it just by going to candidco.com forward slash vision candidco. So candid, C-A-N-D-I-D, co, C-O, candidco.com forward slash vision, and then use promo code vision. Basically, the vision has to be there all the time, uh, even though we're talking about teeth. But it's vision because it's Arsenal vision. You get the idea. So candidcode.com forward slash vision, promo code vision. And uh, I'll just read a, a quick thing here from Justin in Atlanta, Georgia. When I was younger, I used to have a gap in the front and on the side. I noticed that people would always look at my mouth first. So I was looking for a fix. Candid ended up being the perfect company for me. There is no comparison. Um, they got before and afters on the website you can look at. But the point is orthodontist monitored at home, invisible aligners to fix your teeth what could be better than that candidco.com forward slash vision promo code vision just all the vision all the time and then all the perfect smiles and you don't have to uh, pay 30 grand or buy a sports car to compensate for teeth that you're unhappy with so all in all better for everybody uh clive is that enough of that yeah that was wonderful oh thanks i didn't talk about your privates didn't talk no, about your pri- it's a bit I, I better. Mean, we'll get back to talking about your privates. Don't worry. We will, we will do keep that. Keep dragging out all the insecurities of all the listeners. Just keep dragging them out. Look, you? we've done lingerie, beer, private shaving, tooth correction. We are going to have you so drunk and so sexy and so ready for the end of this pandemic that it is going to be the most fun you've ever had in your life. You're going to be looking your best, feeling your best. 
intoxicated to the best level with all of the Arsenal Vision promoted products. Clive, let's talk uh, about a man who may not be feeling his best, mm. and that is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So this is a tricky one, and let's face it. We are able to talk about this now as an overwhelmingly positive thing because of the outcome. Now, we will see. I think there's a discussion to be had about where this goes from here, how Aubameyang takes it. Um, you know, there's some rumor, oh, he sped off loudly and frustratedly at, at full time. You're committed to this guy on big, big money. He's got a big ego. We'll see how it goes. But just f- firstly, the decision to bench your captain and best player in the Derby for lateness, not the first time is what we hear. Maybe he could have just stripped him of the armband for the day. He could have tried a different approach, but he makes the big decision. He goes public with it. He doesn't keep it. I mean, it doesn't go public with the reason, but he goes public that it's disciplinary. Um, I realize that we are all now going to speak about it with the benefit of hindsight and it working out. But <laughs> part of the way through this game with Lacazette fluffing his lines, it, it, it didn't always look like it was going to work out. Regardless of the outcome, how do you feel about his decision to stick to his guns on discipline and culture? Yeah, well, when he first, when he was dropped, I thought, okay, I went into my protect the club mode and tweeted out why I think Lacazette could be a, a benefit on the day. And then as I was tweeting all that stuff out, then obviously it came out that Aubameyang was disciplinary. I didn't see that interview originally. And then when you think about it, did he, you ask yourself the question, did he need to do that in public? You know, But once he decided to do that, that now you're talking about individual characters, right? And you'll talk about Arteta himself. If you remember his very first interview, he spoke about his philosophy, what he's going to do in football. That very first interview at the club, I always urge people to go back and watch that. I think it's so enlightening. But he used the word ruthless in that interview. It always struck me because I always felt we lacked that in the club. And I felt that Pep was also very ruthless with certain players. And he mentioned that and that always stuck with me. So when I see these issues with Guendouzi, etc., I'm never bothered because he signposted it. He signposted it. With your captain, someone he's believed in, he's supported with a contract. He has made made him his, his, his partner almost with Louise and Shaka. They're the, they're the three dressing room leaders. There's an expectation of that captain. I think also, not only that, the club has supported him off the pitch with his mother situation, um, which is hard to be expected. But to do that during a pandemic, the price is bigger because you have COVID restrictions. He missed his game. Did he miss the Man United game? Mm. Yeah, missed Man United game. Was there? Did he miss the Wolves game? A heartbreaker. Wolves? No, that doesn't ring a bell. But I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I think it's two or three games he missed. I'm not mm. sure we won them all. So I'm saying I think Southampton we did win. And so hold on, we're not we're not anywhere. We're sitting there in tenth, eleventh, and we are prepared to do the right thing. This is very Arsenal. The right thing with somebody who's got a family crisis regardless of what's happening here, because you hope you'll get it back, right? I have these issues that we're now reading about, you know, COVID tests and a tattoo and all the rest of it. There comes a point where you got to say, enough, enough. The only thing that's interesting is the public side of things, why he felt to do that now at this point in time. Or is it that he's got such confidence in the group, such confidence in himself, he's not thinking that deeply. He's not thinking, well, you know, I need to look after this guy. He's thinking, no, I need to look after the fabric of the club, and this is how I do it. Now, his authority will, will obviously increase. Um, I think it's a major moment for him. I was petrified for him and all of us who want this win desperately, you know. 
to have something to then lean into if we lost the game. And Lacazette wasn't exactly Gerd Muller in the box, was he? Do you know what I mean? So it's it's an issue that's staring us in the face. And um, so, yeah, it's worked out for him. Culture for me, you know, Elliot, is is strong. It's it's something that's important. The club has been too cosy for experienced players that want to buy houses in Dubai rather than get us into Champions League. And that's been that way for four or five years now. It needs to change. And we're not going to do this in a non-painful way. It needs to be done just like this. It worked out on this occasion, but it could have been a different podcast if we lost that game. It is one of those things that there's there's only two possible ways you're going to look at it. It's going to be a proxy for your feelings about Arteta generally. If you don't like Arteta, you're going to find a reason not to like this. And if you do like Arteta, you're going to find a reason to like it. And then it's going to also be based on the result. If we had lost and Lacazette had missed some key chances, people are going to find a reason why it's bad. We won. And so it... it it's easy to describe as a masterstroke. I think it's complicated. We had 20 years of a manager who basically was not a disciplinarian. That's not who he was. And it worked for him in his own way to a certain point. But Mesedoza was going off to Bremen for birthday parties when he was sick and not in match day squads and playing when he wanted to play. Alexis Sanchez got put on the naughty step at Anfield and was brought on at halftime. That backfired. We know that there were issues and maybe just as a club and as a fan base, we're not as used to managers disciplining players and holding them to account. And, you know, I think Emery let the players walk all over him a little bit. I, I think there was a little bit of that. He had a power play against Mesut Ozil, and he had a power play against Aaron Ramsey, and he lost it. There's just no other way to say it. Um, Clive, you want to just come back on that real quick? Just one last thing. I mean, yeah. I, obviously, you guys know me, and you guys probably feel quite similar, particularly after the result. I think if we had lost the game earlier, you might have said, you need to treat your superstars differently. You need to treat certain people that. differently. Yeah. And, um, and and that's been a consistent view, right? So that's that's absolutely fine. There are different people with different courses. But funny enough, I saw a tweet from Lee Dixon, and it sort of gave me a bit of comfort. It was the right thing to do, because Lee Dixon's been in a few Arsenal dressing rooms, and when he says things like this, you know it's the right thing to do. There is a dressing room culture. There is a dressing room fine system. Sometimes this is, most of the time, it's player run. And it only goes up to management when it happens two or three times, when it escalates. This has obviously escalated. And that's why it got dealt with in that way. Normally, if you're late for certain things, the players sort out amongst themselves. Mm. But this is this is deemed to be more serious. So I would, I would side with the club on this. But I'm not convinced it's going to be painless going forward. It's got this little hunch feeling. I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Aubameyang. Let's say I hope Aubameyang reacts appropriately. That's what I really wish. That well, that will also help determine. You hate to be sort of post hoc in your analysis, but if we lose Aubameyang's commitment over this, then you'll have to revisit whether it could have been handled differently. I, I have a. You'll be surprised to know strong theories about this. Um, some in support of what was done and some not 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 in support, but questions. But, Paul, I will let you uh, fire the first salvo here in, in what is inevitably going to be a battle. <laughs> uh, no, no, not really. Um, look, I think there's a couple of other interesting quirks to this situation, which is it's one thing to drop him, but then to have him warm up twice on the subs line and not use him. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. I'm yeah. convinced he would have come on. We just, yeah. I, I don't, I think game state was why he didn't. I, I think he was coming on. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, can, Perhaps, I, can I ask a question? Did he, yeah. did he warm up? Yeah. Did he yeah. Warm up? I, yeah. I, I didn't see him. No, I didn't he, was, see he, warmed, okay. he warmed up fully and then he, he looked pretty annoyed when he went back to the bench. But I mean, Paul, do you think, 
Do you think he was made to warm up just as like a, a matter no. of fact and was never coming on? Because I think game state difference, he would have come on. No, but it's humiliating, right? I guess, it, yeah. It, Is it? Uh, if, you're, I mean, if he says, that, I'm going to put yes. you on, but yeah. Well, you're out there in public. You're warming up mm. twice. Uh, you go back. It's uh, uh, like, I agree. I don't, it wasn't done as a power play, but it like, it's like there's a spotlight on you and then a second spotlight is turned on double bright. So um, it's just humiliating. You know, he didn't warm, uh, warm down with the other subs after the game. He revved up the Ferrari and drove off. And I mean, I'm not trying to, I don't, I'm not putting any kind of, gas on the fire i think it's interesting dimensions to it um like he should be able to get his head around it but on the day he must have found this incredibly humiliating um and you know but like uh would george graham have put up with this shit absolutely not no that's that's hard though because comparing across eras you know like we're in the era of the star footballer now maybe more than we were at the time and look there were things they did put up with back then you know players would go out on the lash you know there was the tuesday club that was a thing right um i I think what i would say about the warming up we got the goal in the 64th minute i don't think it would have gone much longer with lacazette staying on i think it would have been an obamiang for lacazette straight swap i mean tim i want i want to get your feelings on a lot of this but just that Mm. briefly do you agree that Aubameyang would have come on? I mean, we'll never know, but I, yeah. I don't think he was be, he was warming up for. Oh well, we're going to lose Clive in a second here, so let me just bring him back real quick because I, I I know he's he's not done um, here. There's there's more to be said, Clive. Clive, yeah. Yes, yes. I'm cutting your mic. What what, what do you want? No, oh, no, no, you have to go. No, no yeah, I have okay. to. I have to. Okay. Go. I, I just. You know what? Think, it's good because um, you're going to miss the part where we talk about when we sucked, and I know you don't want to talk about that on a day no, like today. I don't today, want to so. talk about that. Okay. I still got so, a hangover from yesterday. Fine, so. <laughs> Clive's on Twitter at Clive BAFC. Um, he will be back with a rewatch. Hey, rewatch tomorrow. Rewatch tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe, maybe Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. We're going to do the full match probably. So if you've ever thought about signing up for Patreon, you're going to watch a whole North London Derby with Clive as your as your announcer. You don't want to miss that. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, man. Thank you very much. Okay. That is Clive. And uh, now we are, now there were three. Tim, yeah, your thoughts on uh, whether Aubameyang was coming on. And then if you want to just sort of uh, expand that out into your thoughts on the, the move from Arteta generally. And then we will get to the can't miss section of the part where Arsenal sucked and we all clenched our butt cheeks. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think he would have. I can't imagine, I can't imagine he would have sent him out to warm up just to humiliate him. He's already kind of been humiliated by the the decision to drop him i think um another interesting angle on this is like i don't think abamyang's got any choice but to suck this up frankly because he's not in a position of power he signed a contract um so he can't go anywhere no one's going to buy him no one's going to pay him the salary that arsenal are paying him he can't I, i'm not saying suggesting that he wants to do this i don't know but he can't sulk his way or force his way out of the club um, unless he's willing to take a substantially reduced pay packet somewhere, it, isn't Arteta's the counterpoint not... to that we can't we can't move him either. So, so if he wants to become yeah, Ozil well, and just I mean, sit at home and play Fortnite, we would be screwed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe. Um, I I don't get the sense that he would do that. Mm. But Arteta's not going anywhere either. Um, and we and you know, so he's not going to be able to you know sidle up to. I mean, who the fuck would he sidle up to to get Arteta sacked? Um, you know, the owner probably doesn't even know who he is. So um, He could get David so, Luiz to do one of his things. <laughs> there was also the reporting that uh, see, this was through the Athletic. So 
it, it ain't just made up. It might be the full story, but it's not made up. Uh, that senior players were very supportive of this. Yep. So yep. it tells you, it, like, if he were late once, if it was just a one, if the only thing he ever did wrong was sometimes he was late. There's a bit, we don't know what it is and we shouldn't speculate, but it ain't just uh, he got stuck in traffic. It's There's a bit more to this. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, and and yeah, like he, like Arteta made this decision from a position of power, and Aubameyang by signing the contract, it, it's kind of weird nowadays how signing a contract makes players less powerful. Look at Wilfred Zaha at Palace; he's wanted out for a couple of seasons, can't sign a big contract, long contract, so he's stuck. And Aubameyang's in in his last years now, and he's 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 got a decision to make about how he reacts to this. Um, essentially, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I, I think there's layers to this, right? The first layer is should Arteta have opted for different discipline? I think that was certainly on the table. He could have done something like strip him of the armband. Um, you know, that would have been because you say, well, it's not his first offense. Well, but as far as we know, it's his first punishment, right? His first public punishment for it. Um, so maybe there was an intermediate step he could have taken. But if you want to draw a line in the sand, dropping your star striker for the Derby is as as big a line in the sand as you can draw. And if you want to correct behavior, and it's, yeah. it, it's, it would have been kind of a cop out to do that. And if he's talking about, you know, a democracy and treating everyone equally, there's only one guy with the armband. So there's only one person in the whole squad who can get that punishment um, you know, to, to have yeah. the armband taken away. So it it is, it could easily be interpreted as a bit of a halfway house. So Maybe the, we make them switch the armband to the other arm. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Oh yeah, perfect. Or drive to the game in like a, a Chevy Trailblazer instead of his, <laughs> his like <laughs> laminated Ferrari LaFerrari or whatever it is. Um, yeah. yeah, look, I mean, it's a it's a big risk, big reward move that you make as a manager, and it pays off on this day. And I think, I, you you could say, well, why 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 say that it's disciplinary? Why not just say, uh, you know, Aubameyang is not in the starting lineup today, and someone says why, and just say that's you know it's an internal matter. Uh, we have nothing to comment on that. But I think the upside of saying what it is is you control the narrative, because if you don't come out and say what it is then rumor agent you know and agent look spouting much, off look how and, much stuff came out quickly here right mm -hmm. we have all sorts there's photos of the guy in traffic yeah there's uh him leaven, revving up his lamborghini there's what players are saying like i uh, i think maybe he's living in this post mole world where he knows this shit's coming out in the next 24 hours. It's just the He's internet world, it. Paul. I, I yeah. think in this day and age, the only way to own the narrative is to be the first one to release the information. You know, first to print. That's it. So I don't have a problem with that. Look, I do fundamentally believe that one of the hardest parts of managing a big club, you can know football better than anybody else. Communicating your ideas, you got to know, but managing the big egos. Unai Emery is not a bad coach. I mean, maybe he is. <laughs> Let's be honest. But I don't love his ideas. But we know he's a bad man manager. We know he was a bad communicator. And it's not just English. He had that reputation even in Spain. Mikel Arteta seems to have a bit better grasp on that. He does seem to want to treat all players the same. And maybe that is the way to go. I tend to think that part of the game is you have to give your stars space to feel like stars. And the egos have to be managed differently. You know, you're up and coming 19-year-old. You're... 
journeyman 28-year-old squad player and your superstar striker 31-year-old not have different rules, but a little bit of different leeway within the rules. It sounds like Arteta did try to do that to his credit, and he had to draw the line eventually. So I, all in all, I kind of get it, and I kind of don't know that he had a choice. Um, but what I do know is he needed to win this game for this to work out. I mean, Tim, whether we all support the move or don't support the move, it is it is a huge risk-reward decision. I mean, is it fair to say that winning the game and Lacazette slotting home a penalty to win the game is the dream outcome? It lets Arteta go in front of the cameras after the game and say, we love Pierre. He's one of our most important players. He's our club captain. The matter is dealt with and we move forward. Whereas if you lose without him, then the narrative is, Selfish Aubameyang cost team potential Derby win as Lacazette fluffs lines in absence of Aubameyang. We don't have to deal in that world. And is that really why this winds up being good? Just pure benefit of the outcome. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, uh, for whatever this is actually worth tangibly, just in the fan base as well, um, had we not won this game, you know, it would have been very polarized, the conversation around it. Um, but absolutely, yeah, it's it, it's about owning the narrative and this I, I i tweeted it before the game this was always going to be um and i think kind of rightly so re- purely result oriented decision because we all know what the process that you know that the process is with um with discipline and all of that and arteta's done it before he's done it a few times to a few players at different kind of levels and pay grades and ages um you know i, I think the only question mark he has there is is willian with dubai but like you said um like we're, we're told that was dealt with internally and you don't just have to drop a guy to punish them and like you've said we're we're hearing that about has done other things basically and and so it's a it's accumulation and had willian done other things um well i was going to say he might have got dropped he did do other things which was play like shit and then get dropped the good old-fashioned way (laughs) um, rather than (laughs) in discipline um but yeah absolutely and it's um you know it it was it was a it was a really really big move, not in the least because, like I said, I think a lot of the selection decisions were about Abamyang being there, and the fact that Martinelli wasn't in the squad as well, and that is, um, I know we'll come on to this in a minute about how we finished the game. That is a substitute I really would have liked to have seen in that last kind of ten to fifteen minutes. If you know, assuming that a, like we really really didn't want to use Abamyang unless uh, or Arteta didn't unless he absolutely had to. So you know that that took away an attacker from the bench on what was actually quite a defensive bench um, as well. There were, you know, three defenders and a defensive mid on there as well as a goalkeeper. So, By it, defensive you know, mid, do you mean uh, Mohamed El Neni number 10? Because well, he's, he's a well, 10 apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed. So, so yeah, it, it was, you know, it's, it's a really, really huge call. And I don't think Arteta's under any illusions um, about that. But like I say, he makes it from a position of strength. And I think this is the kind of call you can make when you know you've got your club's full backing as well, which which I think Arteta very genuinely has. You know, I have a lot of... I have to give Arteta a lot of credit here. And I'll I'll, I'll give a personal explanation that is nothing like what he's just done, but it is like what he's just done, if you see what I mean. So with my first daughter, one of the things we do for a disciplinary thing at nighttime when we wanted to be good, we had three little pictures up on the wall. There was iPad, there was TV, and there was cookie. Okay? Now look, I get it. You could say kids shouldn't have any of that stuff to begin with, but she gets to watch the iPad. Sometimes she gets to watch a little TV and she usually gets like a little dessert or a treat after, after dinner 
every night. So you can debate whether I should be doing that with my kid to begin with. But, but here's the point. If she wasn't good during bedtime and when she was having to do all her chores and do all her stuff, she'd lose a picture. And each time she lost a picture the next day, she'd lose that thing. So she might lose iPad for the day or TV or cookie or all three. It's a really nice motivational tool until the next day when you have to enforce it. So if I take TV down, for example, you know what's really handy? Being able to put my daughter in front of the TV for 20 minutes so I can take care of my other daughter and get some stuff done. If she doesn't have TV, it makes my life harder. So there'd be days when she'd lost the TV privilege. And then the next day I've got to enforce it. I'm like, she's like, daddy, can I watch TV? And I'm like, God, I wish you could, but I can't because I've taken it away. And now I've hurt myself. Arteta, it's the same thing. He had to take something away from himself too. He's taking away his star striker in the Derby. It hurts him to do it. And having the brilliant, brilliant analogy. And I think I know where you're going with this, Elliot. Mm. Mm. We put up for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang a photo of a Lamborghini, <laughs> a nightclub, and a foreign trip. And when he's been, yeah, <laughs> I see yeah, where I, you're going. Well, so the point is, like, like, it's one thing to say you want to have these disciplinary tactics. I want to be able to take away these things from my daughter if she doesn't behave. It's another thing the next day to have to put them into place. And Arteta... Aubameyang pushed the line and Arteta stood up to it and he, he, he meted out discipline that hurts him just as much. Taking yeah. away your star striker for the Derby that could have cost you the Derby, that can cost you your job. So I, Whereas I think if that, the punishment was he gets to kick them in the balls really hard once, twice, or three times, then like nobody's going to want that, but he'll still have them to play like two or three days later. Fair enough. Well, maybe instead we could just kick Harry Kane in the balls. God knows he deserves it. Um, speaking of which, just really, really quickly, I, I look. Spurs fans can complain all they want about the penalty. It's a penalty. Lamella could have been sent off three different times, and Harry Kane should have been sent off. And I, I just, I am so sick of watching Harry Kane be one of the dirtiest players in the Premier League. And for Gabriel to have him in his pocket all game and Kane to respond by doing something that if the elbow is a few inches off and the head's in a slightly different direction, he cracks his freaking skull and it doesn't even make match of the day. Tim, like, I, I'm just sick to death of this guy and not just because he's a Spurs player, although that doesn't hurt, and not just because he's a drooling idiot, but also because the the extent to which the the media and of course largely the english media to be fair have totally whitewashed and laundered his reputation for the kind of player he is i i just don't think it's i don't think it's right i don't think it's right that there should be a player that just cuz he's captain of england can go around the premier league hurting fellow pros and getting away with it repeatedly mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I always felt, um, you know, in that period where we where Arsenal were getting lots of uh, lots of badly broken legs and you kind of go, hmm, why does this always happen to Arsenal, though? Mm. I, I always felt the coverage of Arsenal played into that. And, you know, obviously, like, quote unquote, the media. And obviously, we're probably talking about a specific section of the media because the media is not homogenous. And it's an, and that we are the media um, as well. Mm. Um but, but, you know, we're talking about a significant and quite influential section of the media. I always thought that they had um, some had to bear some responsibility for some of those injuries and some of those players, you know, going off in ambulances because of the coverage, because of the Arsenal don't like like it up and kind of stuff. Um, and and this is this is a similar thing, and it's and this isn't really about Arsenal um, in this because Kane does this kind of all the time. Someone's going to get badly hurt 
if he keeps doing that. So someone's going to go off, um, you know, in an oxygen mask, in an ambulance. And I, I hope it doesn't happen. But if and when it happens, the whitewashing of the coverage will have its part to play in that because yep. there is a correlation between how these incidents are covered and how they're officiated as well. And I'm not I'm not necessarily having a go at referees there, but but that that is just how it works. We are all influenced by the things that we consume. That's that's just how it happens. And so by repeatedly whitewashing this, it means he's not punished, which means he keeps doing it and he will keep doing it and he's he's playing with fire. Um, and one day, and again, I really hope not, but you, you can't be surprised if someone gets really hurt. And when he, um, if and when that happens, then all of the people, all of the kind of editors that choose to leave out of their highlights packages and stuff, they're, they're going to have, um, they're going to have some explaining to do, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, it is just really insane. And, and at the other end of the spectrum, a player who himself is a diver, like, and I look, they all dive, all the players dive a little bit, but the way he wins that free kick, for example, like he backs into Gabriel and then throws his legs behind him and he, he's always going to get the call. He's always going to get the penalty. Like, it is really the case that if you are a Premier League team, the best thing you can have in your lineup is the captain of England. Because if you have the captain of England in your lineup, you have a roving free like free role like a guy who can foul as much as he wants dive as much as he wants win whatever penalties he wants and and you're just going to get the extra benefit of the doubt and and it it is insane alan shearer got away with it you know I mean, it's just beckham did beckham did as well it's no good paul you have a final thought on this because what i want to talk about next and I, I hate that we have to do it but we do have to talk about the, the end of the game and and how we kind of went to pieces under the pressure yeah go ahead paul so I just want to say a couple of quick things that what he does to Gabrielle is incredibly cowardly. I yeah. mean, he just fucking soccer punches him from the side when Gabrielle has no defense and plows into him. And to Tim's point, it's beyond dangerous, right? He just connects with his shoulder or his elbow and Gabrielle has a severe concussion <clears throat> and he does that shit all the time. But the one, one ploy of his that I think Maybe it doesn't lead to serious injury, but it tells you everything about his relationship to the refereeing and his imperious attitude of privilege as he saunters around the pitch. There's a point where he just runs up behind Gabrielle, and we've seen him do this in almost every game, and he just fucking shoves him on the ground, like out of the way, like a fucking lord coming through, shoving a peasant into the muck. And... You're like, what the fuck is that? It's never called for Harry Kane. Runs up behind him, fucking shoves him on the ground and runs off. And it's like, there's nothing subtle about it. There's nothing halfway. But it's this privilege he has that shows his disdain for the fact that anybody else should be in his presence and shielding the ball from him. And yet you go anywhere near him and he does a belly flop in the air, uh, even though he's not even interested in the ball he's protecting. So... It's it's bizarre. The fucking the double standard doesn't co cover it. I don't know if there's something well, as a triple standard, but he's got it. I'm going to slightly disagree with Tim on one thing. Tim, you said, you know, eventually what it's probably going to lead to is someone needing oxygen and being taken off the pitch because of something Harry Kane has done. I think there is an alternative view here, which is someone's going to see Harry Kane back into the air, you know, do his, his signature move to one of their teammates and the ref's not going to call it again. I actually think the other outcome, and I, I won't smile when this happens, but it's coming, is someone's going to put a reducer on Kane. Someone's going to decide 
So, you know, someone who's not English and doesn't care about him being England's captain and someone who is sick of watching him hurt other guys with impunity is going to go through him two footed and snap an ankle or something, you know, right before an international tournament. And you know what sucks is that player is going to be get death threats and have to be sold and kicked out of the league. But we know how it works. If the referees and the media won't legislate for this kind of thing, the players will eventually do it themselves. And he's You've just got, got to s- organize it so that the guy who does it, it's the final game of the season. He's leaving the league to <laughs> go to the continent. <laughs> Look, I don't want it to happen, Paul. I mean, it would be justice. I don't want it to happen. I just think I think rough justice is is coming if if he continues to get away with this stuff. All right. Look, look Tim. Mm. This is a hard, long slog of a season. And so finishing out games is hard, but Spurs are down to 10 men. We have the lead. We have dominated possession and we have outplayed them thoroughly. I like to look at every hard factor imaginable when I analyze football. I cannot do that in this instance. I just Mm. feel we went to pieces mentally and that the next step for this team, and maybe it's the byproduct of being 10th and not having the faith and having games go against us like Wolves and like Villa and like Burnley and like Benfica nearly where you know you're the better team and you've thrown it away. The nervousness was palpable and suddenly Mm -hmm. we could not, we couldn't not just not pass it to one another, couldn't make good decisions. Opportunities to keep it down at their end, taking pot shots, you know, things that made no sense. Even Arteta, I think, blundered a little bringing on El Nenny for a striker and as you explained on the instant reaction pod you're literally negating your man advantage at that point taking off the one thing that can keep them vulnerable when they have to push forward can you find any explanation for the end of this game that doesn't default to just an absolute terror at the prospect of holding on to win the game no, no. And and I think the, the real context here is the fact that Arsenal have made lots of mistakes in the last few games, particularly mistakes playing out. Um, and, and you know, the managers called them out on it publicly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think fairly correctly because it's really obvious. And he's talked about, you know, we have to understand when there's a time for playing out and then used our judgment. And in, in that pressure scenario with 10 minutes left of a North London derby, and that message kind of ringing in their ears, that kind of don't fuck up today. Um, I, I think that all probably just contributed. Um, I, I do kind of think it's that simple. I'm not sure it's necessary. Like the, the, the size of the game and the impact of the game does have um, a lot to bear. But I do think we might have done this against pretty much any opponent just because of the way we've given away goals recently. And, and, and we were, Tim, much more cautious playing out from the back. We went long yeah. quite often. Uh, yeah. If in doubt, Leno launched it, and yeah. certainly in the second half. So I think that goes along with what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah, and we probably we well we certainly got that balance wrong, and that's understandable. As a kind of I guess analogy, remember when you know we lost five one at Anfield, and then we played Manchester United at home a few days later. The and when dullest nil nil you've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you've just been battered five one, you don't take that risk, and I think it was risk averseness but risk averseness that was so risk averse that it was risky <laughs> um in the end and and i i think and hope that they will have just got it out of their system because it's kind of done now and they got the results so i'm i'm not worried about it that much um in the long term i think it was just that set of circumstances where twice in a week they'd literally been kicking the ball in their own net yeah we we couldn't keep it and it was it was hard to watch it was we had the man advantage. I retweeted. Uh, someone tweeted. I'm sorry, I forget. They said like 
bring Lamella back on, you know, like, cause can I say something though? Yeah, please. Um, like I went back and looked at that 10 minutes and it is gobsmacking how many times we just play a bad pass for yeah. no great reason. Just we just lose our other. shit. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, I hear your point on the Anelli El Nenny thing and the, we're being nervous, but it, it, it's not like we're nervous under, like we're under some pressure, but like, uh, I think like party knocks it out to touch. I think Tierney, like pe- people you think know better. Uh, there's like three or four. Yeah, they just shit like, themselves. I mean, that's, I think that's all it is. I don't think it's anything Spurs did to make it happen. I think they just shit yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I can't look party seemed out on his feet to me. I mean, I, I, yeah. I think he was done. Um, the, the I think El Nenny for party would have been safer, nice yeah. more yeah. than El Nenny for that. I can understand bringing El Nenny on because he does, you know, so, at that point of the game, simple sideways passing yeah. is what you want. And someone who can run around and press, just don't bring him on for the striker. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. There were just some moments where we, we just gave them the ball back way too easily, way too often. Yeah. I, I think... You know, and there were some fouls that were silly, um, you know, that gave them the chance to, to put in some dangerous free kicks. We do get one of the moments of the game in that period with Gabriel's heroic header. I mean, you know, they Incredible. stayed switched. They stayed switched on defensively mostly. You know what I mean? And they held their line well for the, the header that went in that was offside. I mean, that's that's good defending when, you know, an offside is good defending. You know what I mean? Because it takes a lot of discipline not to drop to match the guy's run. So I, I think that is really good. We continue to defend well. Um, so here's a question. Tim, do you think, like, if if he hadn't been on the naughty step, so, so Arteta's now at the point where he's 10 minutes left. He's like, I almost made it through this without using Aubameyang at all. It really strengthens my message if I don't use him at all. If he hadn't been on the naughty step, if it had just been, you know, he wanted to rest him or whatever, do you think it might have been Aubameyang for Lacazette to have yeah. that threat in behind and to really... Put, because if Martinelli had been on the bench, I think he might have been the choice. He can press. He can run behind. He was left out on the day, which is a little weird, but fine. Um, I kind of think he might start Thursday. But but do you think had Aubameyang or Martinelli, for that matter, been more of an available choice that he would have gone with that and tried to have some threat? Yeah, definitely. And and that's that's really what he should have done. Just if, if nothing else, even if the ball doesn't stick to Aubameyang or even if he doesn't kick the ball, he potentially stops another Spurs centre half um, kind of just stepping out onto us. Um, and, and that was the problem with that substitution. It wasn't that it was Elneny. It was it was who it was for. And it, yeah, it just takes away your man advantage when you do that. Whereas if you've got a Bamiang, just like just standing on the halfway line saying, all we've got to do is one big, but you know, David Louise, one big boot and I'm in. Um, then, you know, then you've got, you know, you've got, and Clive talked about how Davinson Sanchez gets very attracted to opponents. Yeah. You, you just push him back by the, by mere presence. And look, if a Bamiang's not in the naughty step, let's flip the question. There is no way <laughs> that it's El Nenny for Lacazette. If, if a Bamiang is in his eyes usable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think in general, Football is about quality, it's about fitness, it's about talent, it's about execution, it's about tactical game plan. I think in this case, it was about mentality. Your legs are a little tired, you got that little nervousness. Nervousness can sap that last 10% of energy that you have. I don't think we need to dive into it too much, but Paul, is it fair to say that, look, when Arsenal were in their pump, the Invincibles, and I'm not expecting a team that's sitting in 10th to be compared to the Invincibles, but like, once they got the lead, that's when they had fun. 
that's when they went and played. And, you know, like they love turning one goal leads into four goal leads. This team, it need that's the next step is to not think you're a 10th place team struggling to get back into Europe, but to think, you know what? Since Boxing Day, we're playing like a good team. We are a good team. There's talent in this team. There's some young players. I mean, on a day when when Spurs had real serious senior pros in Bale, Kane, Mora, you know, and Son up front, we're putting out a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 21-year-old behind Lacazette, and, and they had more quality. Is the next step in the process just for these players to now enjoy the football they're playing, not have that fear of it self-destructing, and eliminate that little bit of mental fragility that seems to turn these good performances into subpar results. Because on this day, we get the result that the good performance warrants, but we went a hell of a way to trying to throw it away with 10 minutes of nervousness. Sure, sure. Look, um, we've come a long way in a few months. Uh, There was a time we could play 10 minutes of good football, if even that, and we wondered why we couldn't get it to a half. And then we play a half of good football and wondered why we could only play one half of football. We're up to 80 minutes. That's, you know, that's pretty good <laughs> by our standards. We're nearly there. It's a different form of, of uh, uh, no, I won't do it. I won't mention toothpaste, Thank but it's, yep. it, it's a seasonal toothpaste. Um, no. Do they make uh, those? <laughs> no, but they should. Um so, like, it's a process, and and we're getting there. And you can't fake confidence. Like, somebody like Luis, somebody who's been there before and has the experience, you could see him telling everybody to stop losing their shit, right? But if you haven't been there, you haven't been there. And this team, as a team, hasn't been there, and most of these players haven't been there. Mm. So, like, uh, they learn not to fuck around, not to lose their shit, that to start to play in that way is to create danger, not to avoid it. And they hold their nerve. It's like you can't be battle-hardened without having been in the battles. So it's a process. They're getting there. You know, it, again, another like the favorite table to look at is not the Premier League tables. The Premier League table since the 26th of December, and we're basically second. Uh, Manchester City uh, played 17 games since then. They have 48 points. And then on a points-per-game basis, we're basically tied with United, Leicester, Arsenal, West Ham, and maybe Chelsea are sneaking up lately, but but since December 26th, not so much. We're building something here, and this was a huge game that contributes to exactly the thing you're talking about, the confidence that... That we're that fate will not screw us over if we hold our nerve, mm. and that there's better ways of doing it than shitting your pants and holding on. And so, yeah, it's a process. We'll get better. I mean, the I'm sure Tim will be able to vouch better than me, but not everybody. Every Invincibles game ended with calm, cool when they pushed on for four or five uh, further no, goals. No, of course not. That's a stereo. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, on the average, it's true, but they had their moments where they. Uh, shit the bed too, or did dumb stuff in the la- in extra time, etc. But yeah, on the whole, you're right. That's that's what you're looking for is the profile of a team. Yeah. We're not there yet. We we nine times out of ten will get on with shitting the bed, but we're getting I'll, better. I'll um, tell you. Ha- sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, I I agree with you, Paul. I I, I, just, I was just gonna say I'll tell you what would have helped is not having these accidents against Burnley against Wolves. You know, I, getting playing well and not winning starts to lead you to believe 
that the world is just against you, that something will go wrong, right? Because you feel like you've been the better team. And so now that we've done it against Benfica, admittedly the hard way, and done it against Spurs, you know, and gotten the results while playing well and not had the Burnley result happen, that that will help. I will tell you, this season's doing a hell of a job, Tim, making me regret the Burnley game and the Wolves game and the little accidents because, my God, where could we be? But as a final question, you look at the table. We did a predictatron. Both Clive and I now, if you update for actual results, have us finishing at least tied for top four, uh, you know, which Arsenal fans predicting Arsenal results, you know, your mileage may vary. But... Um, this isn't just the Derby. This isn't just North London is red. This is St. Totteringham's Day back on the table. This is European football mm-hmm. back on the table. This is the slimmest, slightest, faintest possible hope of top four back on the table. How do you evaluate this in terms of its importance beyond just being the thrill and the ex- exhilaration of the Derby victory? Yeah, again, I'll flip the question. What would have happened if we'd lost season over? Again. Right? That, that's what, <laughs> season over again. That, <laughs> yeah, that's what we'd be talking about, right? Yeah. We'd be talking about, well, do we start resting players in the Premier League, the Europa League? And, you know, this is the time to really make that the priority. It it just keeps things ticking out. And you know my view on that, even if the season was over, just keep fucking playing and keep trying to build some momentum. But... It just gives it just, you know, it just makes the season interesting and it gives us a reason to keep that momentum. And and generally nice to teams, have the mirage of the top four. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just if, if that keeps us going till I don't know, April or mid-April. Great, because generally what you tend to find is if you finish a season strongly, you'll generally start the next one strongly as well. And that that's what I, I really want. I just want even if we miss out and we finish eighth or seventh or whatever, I just want us to carry on in this vein so that when we start next season, we go right. OK. We know that for the last six months, we've been on to something good. So let's just keep it going. Yeah, well said. Um, I think we should leave it there. We're over the 90-minute mark, but what a day for 90 minutes of podcasting. For those of you on Patreon seeing our face, I hope you enjoyed seeing them. I have fought the urge to pick my nose for 90 straight minutes. Go figure. Uh, For those of you listening, thank you so much for listening wherever you are, however you're listening. Uh, It means the world to us to have you here to celebrate this. This journey of a season uh, takes another twist in the right direction and hopefully more of those directional twists towards where we want to go and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards infinity. What is that from? Yeah, towards freedom. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we do love you. Thank you so much for, for being here. And we'll do a full rewatch with Clive, I think, Wednesday, as he said. So on Clive's behalf, thanks again. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo. Tim's on Twitter. Stroberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My name is Elliot Smith. You can buy me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I got to tell you something. I think some special things are ahead, my friends. And if I'm not a hell of a jinx, but I hope I'm right this time because it, it just feels like it's going in the right direction. I hope you feel the same way, too. So we love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Olympiacos nil. No.